This episode of Intelligent Medicine is brought to you by the Fresh Pressed Olive Oil Club. Did you know that olive oil is at its peak of flavor and nutrition right after it's fresh pressed at harvest time? That's why my favorite olive oil is delivered to me direct from the latest harvest, thanks to the Fresh Pressed Olive Oil Club. And now you can try a bottle yourself, normally $39, for just $1 with no obligation to buy anything else. Visit MyFavoriteOliveOil.com. In my case, it truly is MyFavoriteOliveOil.com. MyFavoriteOliveOil.com. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. I'm very much looking forward to talking to today's guest because she's the author of a fantastic book called Unsafe at Any Meal, What the FDA Does Not Want You to Know About the Foods You Eat. Uh, and there's a picture of uh, just a big pile of greasy junk food on the cover, a hamburger, pizza, chicken nuggets, uh, you know, very uh, gooey dessert, uh, and the author is Dr. Renee Dufault, who's our guest today. For listeners who are looking to spell that name, it's D-U-F-A-U-L-T, Dr. Renee Dufault. Um, welcome to the program. It's a pleasure having you on Intelligent Medicine, Dr. Dufault. Well, thank you for having me, Dr. Hoffman. I'm I'm really looking forward to our conversation. And, and by way of background, uh, Dr. Defoe, you you have a, a BS degree in environmental policy analysis, uh, and a doctorate in health education, and you've worked for uh, the National Institutes of Health, the Environmental Protection Agency, and the Food and Drug Administration. And uh, you know, in a moment, we'll we'll talk a little bit about your history with uh, the EPA. Uh, but first, you know, intriguing title of the book because it, it echoes the title of uh, a very landmark book. I guess it was written in the 60s or the 70s, uh, Unsafe at Any Speed by uh, Ralph Nader. Uh, he's still knocking around, uh, making noise about uh, consumer uh, empowerment uh, when it comes to um, uh, unsafe products. His book originally was about bad cars. Uh, your book is about bad food. And so what was your intention in echoing uh, and emulating Ralph Nader? Well, to be honest with you, I didn't choose the title for the book, but it's an appropriate title. The, uh, the real problem is that we have a processed food problem in our, in our uh, country, all over the world. And it's all about shelf life and what, what it is that manufacturers put in the processed food. And it doesn't, we can talk organic or, or conventional, it doesn't matter. There's just so much, uh, in processed food that, that now we're finding is not so healthy for you. And they talk about processed food, but they don't tell you what's in the ingredients that make it so harmful. So my book was intended to explain to the consumer what it is in the ingredients that we find in processed food that that creates conditions for diabetes, heart disease, autism, ADHD, and so on. So, so you really shine a light on uh, some of the, the hidden perils in our processed food. Uh, but recently, uh, there was a, a story that, that got wide circulation, and 
here's one of the headlines about this uh, study. Processed foods lead to weight gain, but it's about more than calories. Yeah, we think of processed foods, you know, laden with sugar and fat. Uh, they're high calorie, uh, they're bereft of nutritional value. But there, there's more to it than just the, the caloric impact of these foods, right? Right, because there are contaminants in processed food that uh, impact the way our genes behave. So whether we're talking inorganic mercury, lead, pesticides, they, these contaminants in the processed food are are really the real culprits. So the, the discussion of fats, you know, they talk about, you know, fats. Well, what, what kind of fats? What are we talking about? Well, vegetable oils of all kinds uh, are at some degree of risk, risk of inorganic mercury contamination. And we know this because... The oil industry in Europe did a uh, published a report, and you know they went through their uh, uh, various processes and, and and wrote a report about the uh, p- uh, potential risk from low to high of inorganic mercury in, in vegetable oil. So, you know, we talk about fat, but we don't talk about what's in the fat. Right, and we're going to do a deep dive on how it is uh, that some of these uh, contaminants, some of these ingredients. Uh, make it make their way into our food supply, and often uh, undisclosed because you know we can read labels. We can say, well, okay, this has got this amount, this amount of calories. The fat content is displayed, uh, the sugar carbohydrate content. So you know a consumer can read a label, but uh, when it's not even disclosed, uh, that's a problem. But before we get to that, I want to talk to you about your your background because uh, you actually uh, you know you're not just someone uh, casting uh, stones at the establishment from uh, outside, you were literally in the belly of the beast. You worked for the FDA, and uh, you did studies. And uh, uh, there came a time where you your studies actually, uh, well, they said thank you very much, but uh, we're not interested in, in uh, disseminating your work. Can you talk a little bit about your experience there? Right. Well, uh, I had inadvertently stumbled on uh, finding inorganic mercury in corn sweeteners and products that contain corn sweeteners. And high had, fructose uh, corn syrup, specifically. Right, right. And, and, of course, there's a lot of different corn sweeteners in that chain, in that product chain, because you start with cornstarch, where they, uh, and now since I retired, I found out they actually apply inorganic mercury, mercuric chloride, to the cornstarch at the front end of the process. Hmm. And then you end up with high fructose corn syrup, but you have all these corn sweeteners in between, you know, dextrose and, you know, so forth. So, um, and regular corn syrup and cornstarch and this and that. Well, the, the problem is that, uh, then they all also were using mercury grade, uh, sodium hydroxide and HCl in their process as well. And so mercury grade, by definition, means they made these chemicals with mercury. And so there's always, they've never figured out how to how to take the mercury out of these end chemicals. So they would use those mercury grade chemicals on purpose because it, it led to higher shelf life, hmm. which I found through my investigations at FDA. So they, so they, so, said, so they said instead of saying, 
you know, mercury's toxic. Uh, you know, we got to get it out of there. They said, well, you know, I, I guess it's it's all the same because uh, the little bit of mercury that's in there that can actually it's like mercurochrome. It's what when we were kids, you know, we skinned our right. knee and they would put a little uh, mercurochrome, which is a mercury compound on our knee. It's an it's an antibacterial. It actually suppresses right. the growth of bacteria. Well, that's no longer legal because now we know that even small amounts of mercury, inorganic mercury, uh, can impact child development. So, uh, you know, we, when they made mercurochrome, when they took that off the market, they didn't know about all these other problems that inorganic mercury can cause over time. Like, for example, we did a clinical trial where we uh, educated a group of people that in, in on uh on what's in processed foods, and we tracked their dietary in- intake over, you know, eight, ten weeks, with ten weeks. And we we also do their blood at the front end of the study, and we, we uh, had a, a chemist who had already developed methods for inorganic mercury analysis for the uh, hazardous waste program at, at EPA. We had him develop a method to find the inorganic mercury in the blood, which is different than whole mercury, right? Mm-hmm. It's a certain, you know, species. So what we found was that the more processed foods people ate, the higher their inorganic mercury levels and the higher their fasting glucose levels. Mm -hmm. So there was a direct connection between, you know, uh, diabetes risk. And and why should that be? Uh, I, you know, I can think it through myself, but for a listening audience, what could be the connection? I mean, uh, there's no caloric value to mercury. Mercury, uh, you know, doesn't deliver glucose into the bloodstream. Why? By what mechanism could mercury mess up metabolism? Well, it can it can suppress or turn on certain genes that are that are uh, have to do with metabolism. And there's a number of different genes, uh, glucose transporter genes, and so forth. So mm-hmm. uh, that's the that's the crux of the matter. And that that same type of mechanism would be uh would be effective in in uh, alzheimer's or any of the western diseases mm-hmm. so so western diet leads to western disease and now we know why uh we don't know exactly why in all cases because there could be a number of genes that are impacted mm-hmm. by inorganic mercury or lead or organophosphate pesticides right which were, which are also part of the, we're not going to just focus on mercury. We'll talk about a wide range of potential toxins. But, uh, Dr. Defoe, you know, I, I test patients in my practice for mercury. Many integrative doctors uh, test for heavy metals, uh, lead, mercury, cadmium, arsenic, and so on. And, uh, the vast majority of my patients come up with some mercury. And so the question I ask them is, do you eat a lot of seafood? You know, the classic, uh, seafood that delivers high amounts of mercury, shark, uh, tuna, uh, Chilean sea bass. These are certain species of swordfish. These are species of fish that concentrate mercury in their flesh and, uh, therefore suggest that pregnant women don't consume a lot of these things because of the risk to the fetus. So we're, and many of these patients say, well, I don't eat any of those fish. And so where are they getting their mercury from? And your research suggests that it's, it's not from fish. It, there's, it's ubiquitous in the food chain. Right. And, and the thing is, is that when you go, when you ask a clinical lab to, to do a mercury analysis, the, uh, industry and clinical laboratory, uh, technology is used, is doing, uh, total mercury. So they don't break it down to methyl mercury, organic mercury, mm-hmm. ethyl methyl mercury. Which is, which is mercury. Worse, the organic or, or the inorganic? Because it's the, right. So you two, get a full, yeah. 
But but uh, CDC has actually licensed the method that we developed uh, to uh, look for inorganic mercury. So you know, I mean, the the powers that be know what's going on, but there's no uh, political will to uh, to interfere with with the way that food is produced and manufactured and, and sold in our in our country. Uh, so we don't get warning labels on uh, foods that could contain low levels of lead or mercury or sometimes even higher levels. But there are places that they do have uh, warning labels, not on foods, uh, on foods that are, have, that we know that like food colors, certain food colors cause hyperactivity and inattention in children. So European Union requires food lo- uh, warning labels on all foods that contain certain food colors known to cause these conditions. Mm-hmm. And so as a result, uh, over the last 10 years since they started requiring these levels, if you look uh, at the um, autism and ADHD prevalence in that time period with comparable studies, same, you know, uh, age groups and everything, we now see a huge difference. We see that, you know, in the USA, uh, children diagnosed with ADHD, it's 9.4% of the kids, yeah. whereas in the UK, it's 1.5%. Mm. And then with autism in 8-year-old boys, uh, in the same time period, 11 out of 1,000 in the USA are uh, afflicted with autism, where in the UK it's only four. So these particular food colors have allowable levels of lead, up to 10 parts per million, and allowable levels of mercury. So, you know, uh, the, the label doesn't say, watch out, lead and mercury in there, but it does say, uh, watch out, this, this product can cause inattention and hyperactivity. So... You know, this is a problem. We have a real big problem in our society. Take us through the history of high fructose corn syrup. Uh, you know, a lot of people feel like, well, you know, it's a, it's a natural sweetener. Uh, it's been around uh, from time immemorial. But actually, uh, there's a dramatic change in Americans' dietary patterns that dates back to around just 1970, you know, within our lifetime, certainly, uh, where there was a sea change in the consumption of sugar. I mean, yeah, I mean, look, when I was a kid, I had sugar, but it wasn't sourced from high fructose corn syrup, right? Right. Yeah, what happened was uh, it was in the, the Japanese uh, figured out how to make co- uh, corn sweetener out of corn, and it's a, it's a distillery process. It's kind of like making... Uh, Gasoline out of uh, out of cord, uh, crude oil, so you know it's a it's a uh, chemical process. Big if, if nothing plant. else, we have a surfeit of corn in this country. We don't know what to do with it. Right. Anymore. We, you know, we turned it into uh, gasohol. You know, we turned yeah, it into uh, right. industrial plastics. You know, we we have a surfeit yeah. of of this product, and we can make and it even more profitable by transforming it into high fructose corn syrup. Right. And, and, and that's because the, the agricultural industry is, uh, subsidized by the federal government. So farmers get paid to grow that corn. And, you know, there's, it, it's all related to what's going on today. I mean, GMO corn, GMO wheat, GMO soy, all these things are products that China doesn't want, Europe doesn't want. So yeah, the farmers are, we have these big trade, uh, impasse, passes going on and Trump's trying to get, uh, these countries to buy our, uh, our agricultural products, and they don't want them. So, so, and that's a side note. But the bottom line is, uh, high fructose corn syrup came onto our market in uh, in the 70s, 
very little of it until around the 80s is when it was just in everything. But the per capita consumption uh, in 1970 was, was like 0.3 pounds per year of high fructose corn syrup. And then by 2014, it was 26.8 pounds per year per person. So, so the percent increase in, from 70 to 2014 was like 8,833%, you know, and, and so people Over were 8, still eating. percent increase. Right. Mm-hmm. Increase. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> So the kind of sugar that we, and then we were still eating cane and beet sugar, the old, you know, mm-hmm. the other kind of sugar. Uh, but, uh, there was, there was less intake of cane and beet sugar and more intake of the other. So, in fact, the decrease was, uh, there was a overall decrease in cane and beet sh- sugar for that same period, like almost 33% decrease. Right. So, well, that, you know, has yeah. to do with, you know, our trade with Cuba. Cuba used to be our, source for a lot, right. of, a lot of sugar. And then we became, uh, you know, more self-reliant. You know, we, we make it ourselves in the fields in Iowa and Nebraska uh, and convert it into well, corn. Sweetener. That's where yeah. the corn, yeah, yeah. the corn yeah. was, because uh, yeah, Hawaii doesn't do sugar anymore. Cuba, we don't get sugar from Cuba. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it, the whole sweetener industry shifted to uh, corn syrup. Mm-hmm. Okay, and, so, so it's been posited that that's been very bad for Americans. Uh, I've seen studies that correlate the obesity epidemic to the introduction of high fructose corn syrup. And the idea being is that uh, it's somehow worse than even regular sugar. Certainly it's ubiquitous. It's in soda. We consume lots more of it. But it's it not even about quantity. It's about the quality of the high fructose corn syrup, the type of carbohydrates that it delivers are somehow more pernicious because uh, you don't even have uh, insulin control on it and blah, 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 and it gets into the liver and it uh, uh, is deposited as fat, creating fatty liver. Uh, but what you're saying is there's yet another problem associated with high fructose corn syrup, which is not just the caloric uh, assault on our systems, but the toxicity that it's a Trojan horse for. It becomes a Trojan horse for compounds like mercury well not only that but usda united states department of agriculture scientists actually did a study early on about uh high fructose corn syrup consumption in in adult males humans and they found that the consumption of uh fructose compared to regular sucrose sugar led to magnesium loss Mm. in these men so so i mean there's there's different different Issues associated with high fructose corn syrup, not just content, potential contaminants or whether or not mm-hmm. it's genetically modified or whatever. You know, the fact is we know that magnesium is a requirement in our, uh, for healthy diet and, and low magnesium is associated with diabetes. So, so the actual me- mechanism, there's probably more than one mechanism mm-hmm. for, for getting diabetes, but we just, you know, we don't know. We don't, we don't know enough to, <laughs> there's just, the right kind of research isn't being done, frankly, and it's not supported uh, by the powers that be in the U.S. But there's other countries that are doing research, and, you know, the fact that other countries don't want uh, to have our diet, I mean, that's testament that, you know, we need to look beyond what's going on here and look elsewhere for, for valid data. So what you're saying, in essence, is it, it's not just the background mercury that's in our atmosphere, 
uh, and in the soil that's that's around because of you know basically uh, coal burning. Coal is certainly a source of mercury. Mercury goes up the smokestacks. It goes into the clouds. It's deposited in the environment. You're saying that actually intentionally as part of the processing of these foods, uh, mercury is used, what, as a bleaching agent or, or some sort of processing well, agent? In, in the flour used to bleach, uh, or not in the flour, okay, they bleach flour. So the, the, they use a chlorine used to bleach flour. And the chlorine, it's internationally, it's an international standard, of course, which the U.S. adopted many years ago. The chlorine that you use to bleach flour has an allowable level of mercury because they, they make chlorine, mm -hmm. uh, in, in, uh, in a process that, that can use mercury. As, so as, since a the process as a catalyst, I guess, a chemical yeah, catalyst. Yeah, right, okay. right. Yeah. So, 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 you know, white bread does not, uh, that's been bleached will stay on your shelf for a long time mm -hmm. because of the mercury residue. Mm -hmm. However, if you buy organic, unbleached bread, you're going to have to leave it in your refrigerator. Yeah. Because otherwise it'll get moldy. So, yes, there's intentional use of specific chemicals with specific residues, just like we intentionally leave uh, pesticide residue on vegetables and so on. Even organic vegetables, there's acceptable pesticides that you can leave on there. Uh, they can be bleached or whatever in order to, to get the product to the market mm. in good shape, good enough to last a few days before, uh, you know, things start to go bad. Right, so shelf life over human life is a major consideration by uh, some of these uh, giant oh, yeah. conglomerates, transnational oh, companies. Yeah. Totally, that's what it's all about. It's always been about shelf life. Indeed. So that's the problem. And so what we have to do is change the way we do our food locally. You know, we have the farmer markets and so on, but we really need, we need to go back to gardening, to canning, if we want to have... Uh, if we really want to have safe food to eat. Well, it was interesting, too, that, you know, a couple of weeks ago, an article came out that, you know, there's this controversy over, you know, what to eat uh, to prevent diabetes and to lose weight. And the study didn't look at the, you know, a very low-fat diet, didn't look at a very low-carb diet. All it asked for is that people locally source their food and not eat any food that's processed with unpronounceable ingredients, uh, that they obtained from a supermarket. Uh, I got I me, mean, maybe they could get some organic produce at the supermarket, but not packaged goods. And what ended up happening is quite fascinating. People lost a lot of weight, you know, eight, 10 pounds during a short period of time. I think it was six weeks. Uh, and they were much better in terms of many metabolic, uh, parameters. And it wasn't about reducing their carbs and it wasn't about reducing their fat. They ate the same amount of food, but just was locally sourced. So you're really maybe on something there. Yeah, totally. That makes perfect sense. Indeed. All right. We covered uh, the issue of uh, mercury. We're going to uh, continue on the subject of this new book, which is great. I recommend it very highly. It's a practical book. It's an easy read. Uh, it's got all the information you need to uh, safeguard yourself and your family. Uh, the subtitle, Unsafe at Any Meal, What the FDA Does Not Want You to Know About the Foods You Eat. And there's some practical suggestions there that we're going to get into in part two with today's guest, uh, Dr. Renee Dufault. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast.